0: Um, just go there and search for Adam Swim Silly that's Adam Swim Silly S-C-I-L-L-Y all donations greatly appreciated thank you for helping me to support calm and now on with monkey tennis
2: Monkey Tennis? Smelly Alan Fartridge. Linton Travel Tavern seemed an obvious choice. Monkey Tennis? At the BBC of all places. Be real. Monkey Tennis? Where's my assistant? I do not know. Monkey Tennis? I wish things had turned out differently, but I'm glad they didn't. Monkey Tennis? It will be called Alan's Show. I decided and would be absolutely ace monkey tennis? But needless to say, I had the last laugh.
0: Hello Alan fans and welcome to Monkey Tennis, the Alan Partridge fan podcast. I'm Adam Brooks and I'm joined by Tom Dark.
3: The noise fizzed out of my back passage like a child calling for help.
0: Nick Alder. Smelly Alan Partridge. <laughs> and Tom Stab. Still French kissing eight-year-olds. So as you may have guessed from that introduction, we are starting this week with I Partridge, we need to talk about Alan. Uh, Alan's technically first book, although Bouncing Back exists and doesn't exist. Again, it, it, it depends what universe you're in there. Yeah. Yeah. So so the, the way we're tackling this book is that we've all uh, studied I Partridge in full. Uh, we've looked at both the physical book and the audio book as there are some ki- key differences. Um, and each of us is going to take a phase of Alan's life as covered in I Partridge, starting this week with Nick covering the early years. Um, it's worth us mentioning that you should definitely read and or listen to I Partridge first, because uh, these forthcoming episodes are going to be packed with spoilers um and also the book has a mandatory soundtrack alan says it's uh, essential that you listen to this Uh, so tom dark is our resident soundtrack expert
3: uh, yeah, so as we go through chapter by chapter, I'll be letting you know what songs you need to be listening to
0: to get the full Partridge experience. Um, so before we get into the, uh, the first set of chapters, it's worth talking a little bit about the wider context of this book. Uh, Tom Stab has some key intel as he actually used to work at the company that released it. Yeah, so the book was published by HarperCollins in 2011. Um, I was working there at the time. I didn't work on this specific publication, but uh, I was working in a different department. But I have been able to pull some key information in terms of um, sales figures excellent news. so so do we want to go around the table and speculate on uh, how many copies we think this is sold bear in mind that i have it broken down by hardback and paperback so i can okay. give you a total but i can give you the individual Firstly, breakdowns as well as a publishing expert uh, <laughs> can, you, <laughs> can you give us some idea of what it takes for say a book to get to a number one or a number 10 spot like what's what's what are, what are sales like no, I can't. Okay. Well, <laughs> the best be publishing but, but, expert, but you Tom are a publishing there.
3: expert. Yeah, yeah absolutely. The, the
0: best I've got is I looked at the Sunday Times bestsellers list a couple of weeks ago, and it yeah. looked like first week sales to get to the number one spot of uh, fiction was about four thousand copies, which seemed remarkably low to me. Do you have uh, intel on what time of year it was released? Was it oh, a Christmas? Oh, I think it was Q4. a Christmas. Yeah, it, it was, it was definitely it was a Bound Christmas. So Bound yeah. to be. It would have been. It would have be. been one of the big releases. We used to go and do the equivalent of like cinema studios when they do sleigh presentations about what's coming and. Yeah, this would have been a b- big priority for Q4, Numero definitely. one. <laughs> <laughs> very good. Well, I'm happy to take a punt first. Oh, on then. I, I literally have... Uh, do we want to do total, or do you want to do the individual I, I, one? one total, let's keep it... Yeah, to one, one, one total. total, total across hardback and paperback. Okay, I'm going to say... Oh, God. Uh, I'm going to say that it's done 64,000 copies. Across both? Across both. Okay.
3: I think that's very conservative. I will go for... 530,000.
0: Okay. Oh, I think that's quite high. Ooh, yep. I, I mean, agree, I, I am I am
3: wildly <laughs> speculating. I've okay. got no right. idea.
0: I'm going to go for 289. 289. Okay. Well, I have the figures here. I Up mean, in the envelope. hang on.
3: Producer Jed could have a oh, guess. Oh, yeah, you can, yeah, one yeah, one word. One word yeah, well. yeah, yeah. yeah. Would you like to
0: guess with your one word, Jed? 700,000. 700,000 from Jed. Jed oh, is the highest. Okay, so I have the, I have the numbers Some of would here. say 700,000 is actually three words, Jed. Uh. <laughs> Get out. We'll let it go. So I've got these figures. Uh, it's mid-August 2017 now. So um, these are numbers pretty pretty up to date. So uh, on hardback, it's done 158,435 copies. Mm-hmm. Paperback, 81,641,000 copies. So in total, that's 240,076 copies across both formats. So okay. Nick's the closest, right? He is, yeah. Yay! Aww. Nick wins that one. That's annoying. Bookworm. So
3: before we uh, delve into the book uh, on a chapter-by-chapter chapter review, as it were, uh, it's worth mentioning how brilliant the actual physical book itself is. The cover is amazing. You've got Alan with a horrendously bronzed, fake-tan face, and I love the fact you can see how pale his hand is. In comparison for skin color. And that's very much like how he appeared when he was on TFI Friday and Jonathan Ross and things like that. So that's like the new, par- the new perma fake tanned partridge.
0: A huge amount of gold embossing as well, which is yeah. what you'd imagine Alan would insist oh, on. It's a little bit like when we were talking about Scissor Dial that you can see the decisions that Alan would make, uh, reflected in the book cover, kind of. Well, you? that's, that's an embossed cover. So, um, from a production point of view, that is quite expensive, right? yeah, that's yeah. quite an expensive little, uh, little book cover he's got there uh, on Alan's insistence. Of yeah, course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, also, I have a confession to make. And before we started recording, uh, Nick pointed out that uh, the tan difference between the face and the hand, I hadn't actually <laughs> noticed No, nope, me, e- me neither. <laughs> That's the joke. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah,
3: yeah. And uh, on the back, you've got uh,
0: there's
3: two, two review quotes on the back.
0: Glowing endorsements. <laughs>
3: yeah, uh, Man at the moment from TV Quick Magazine in 1994, yep. and he makes several references to that throughout yep. the book. That's basically the only glowing endorsement he's got. He also makes also... reference to
0: that back in uh, Knowing Me, Knowing You, yeah. when he first received yeah. that quote.
3: <laughs> and then also, very thorough from the Norwich Enquirer.
0: <laughs> you would think he'd be able to get the Norwich Enquirer to say something more positive than just very <laughs> thorough, wouldn't you, at least?
3: Uh, and then also, there is... I only noticed this the other day on the what would you what, what would you call that like the in, inner inside sleeve, sleeve jacket? The inside, mm, jacket inside jacket sleeve yeah. um there in- <laughs> so you've got the credits for the photo so it says photo adam lawrence photoshopping alan partridge <laughs> and then has an asterisk and the asterisk leads to enhancements only made where absolutely necessary Forehead, eyes, brackets, bags, creases, jowl, brackets, left and right, blood vessels, brackets, random, and nose, brackets, tip, septum,
0: and gullies. There's something <laughs> so about tip, everything. septum, and gullies that is, it, it sounds like the worst lawyers in the world. <laughs> <laughs> Bear in mind, we're obviously talking, this is the hardback we're describing here. There's yes. obviously the paperback version as well. Um, we haven't got a copy of that here, but I'm just going to hold it up to the screen, uh, hold the screen up to uh, oh, that's my good. colleagues yeah. here. Yeah, yeah, so it's it, although, picture. quote-wise, arguably less funny because it is a genuine Praise yeah, so the quote—the the the quote, quote on the back is brilliantly witty from the Times, and if you open up the book, um, so it's laying flat, it's a sort of image of Alan lying down in what can only be described as sort of uh, like a safari safari outfit. outfit. Yeah, and he's kind of like uh, kneeling his uh, elbow on the ground and resting his head on it, looking uh, looking very. Fl- I mean, that that get up kind of matches quite well with Nomad, really, doesn't it? Mm. Yeah, it does actually. Yeah. And then it's also got on there the Sunday Times bestseller. Mm, by so, this point, it is a bestseller, yeah. fact. Um, so it's obviously uh, written by Rob Gibbons, Neil Gibbons, Armando Inucci and Steve Coogan. This is this is the the biggest team, I guess, of uh, people I contributing still think to an Yeah. Project. Well, I still think it's one of those things that, in reality, it probably is um, Rob and Neil who have done the majority of the writing. The others are purely there just to sign off on. And uh, I don't, I don't think that's the case because that, do you not think that's what I assume? The, I, kind of I th- set up is. No, in. I th- I think these. Ianucci and coogan have such vested interest in these characters i reckon they would have been heavily involved in this they would have, i it would have been I'm akin to a writer's room i reckon mm, i'm not suggesting they're not involved i'm just saying i don't think they're doing the writing they're just saying i like that i don't like that maybe think about this another thing of note is the uh, dedication for this book uh, he's dedicated it to for fernando full stop and Denise. <laughs> so much, so much meaning in this sentence. Yeah. Firstly, obviously Denise, uh, as as always with Alan, is uh, very much second place. Yeah, she's least, an afterthought. Yes. She's a maybe yeah. Child. Yeah. Um, the fact that there's, that it could have just been for Fernando and Denise, but there's a full stop after Fernando as if to put her down an extra level and obviously uh, it's just bad grammar to start uh, a sentence with and. So, <laughs> he's, he's managed to mess up so many things and he's not even started the book yet. And to slightly jump ahead, isn't there a bit where he goes, and I also have a daughter and there's yeah. an asterisk in the footnote. His just says denise yeah <laughs> to be fair i mean we can come into it in a bit more detail but denise and fernando are barely referenced in the book they're kind of covered off fairly quickly and then that's it i mean to be honest i think for him to say more about them he would have to have some sort of regular contact which uh, <laughs> yeah, as yes, we will realize is yeah, probably not very. yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh so and with that let's pass over to nick as we uh, move into alan's early years chapters one through eight uh so uh starting at the beginning chapter one is simply entitled beginnings
3: yeah although if you've listened to the audiobook version uh chapter one is actually three separate chapters in the audiobook so the audiobook version chapter one uh is nosebleeds followed by family life followed by divorce so how uh,
0: <laughs> <laughs> the big <laughs> so, tells you family. where we're going doesn't yeah, it? yeah exactly <laughs> it's starting well has everyone uh read it because i only listened to the audiobook I've listened and read. Yeah, yeah, I've listened and read. Listened and read. Where did you get a copy of the book from? Harper just just Collins. When I worked there. <laughs> oh, okay. from For clarity, I didn't have a copy of the book and was not able to source one from any of the shops <laughs> in the last six months since we decided to do exactly. This. I just get it on Kindle, mate. It's yeah. about two quid. Yeah. <laughs> so a theme that kind of comes up a lot uh, through the early chapters is one of bullying, and it seems like it's fair to suggest that this has shaped the character that Alan comes on to mm. be. It comes, yeah. uh, it comes back a lot later in Partridge canon as well, doesn't it, about the, the chalk penis on his back and also him saying to Lynn in the film, you know, what do you do with bullies Lynn? You make friends with them so you can bully someone else or, or words to that effect. <laughs> yeah. That's what I like about yeah. this, this early part of the book is that obviously there's a lot of this book which we kind of know what happens to Alan, you know, the TV years, the radio years, etc. Um, but this gives a lot of context outside of him uh, or certainly the Alan that we know. So we, you know, this is a whole section of Alan's life that we have no idea what happened. So by doing this, they've given quite a bit of context to, to how he develops as a person and as a character. And it kind of explains quite a lot yeah. about his, he makes about, more sense. Yeah. Off, yeah. Off yeah the definitely. Back of it. And I think that's, they've, they've in terms of you know um, the the writing, they've 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 done that very very well to uh, you know to make Alan more rounded and to understand him a little bit more. I think not getting too yeah, deep you kind of have it. a small amount of sympathy with some of the stories that he kind of um, tells. So I agree with that. He yeah. talks about kind of school bullies um, tying him to the roundabout to um, induce a nosebleed. Although it's also worth flagging that there are several other things that also um, uh, induce a nosebleed um, with Alan. Those include. Physical exercise, <laughs> spicy food, uh, brightness or sunlight. Uh, embar- I, th- I think he might have meningitis. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Embarrassment, <laughs> dairy, shouting, hearing or doing, or fiddling with his nose. That's quite that, an extensive that's list. That's pretty yeah. much the entire spectrum of human endeavour, isn't it? There's uh, not,
3: there's has it? Has anyone ever had a nosebleed from eating spicy food? No. no, I, I can't have, remember the last I, time I have had a curry trees. that was so spicy made me sneeze. That's about the closest I can get to that. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. Um, and kind of, I don't know if anyone noticed this, but Alan did make reference to if this was a kind of a, a modern day, he might return back to his schools to sort of do away with his school bullies with uh, Uzis, which I kind of thought was something <laughs> that you'd expect maybe Michael to say, yeah, but not yeah. maybe something that Alan would um, would be saying. Um, can I touch briefly on this uh, very pivotal tree that comes up in? Uh, a- absolutely. Uh, yeah. So uh, he basically uh, posts nosebleed he runs off and finds himself uh, directly under a tree uh, and he says why I thought why this tree what is it about this simple field maple that makes it stand out from the others it's not the biggest the strongest the coolest the best at PE I'm <laughs> kind of thinking he's projecting a little but uh, it is worth mentioning uh, that he, he sets this tree up as being a sort of uh, important plot device in his own yeah. life because uh, it will come back later in the book
3: uh, well, I can share a bit of insight about this from the Coogan autobiography. So this ah, tree this knowledge. tree story is kind of based on something real in Coogan's life. Um, so Go I'll, on. I'll read a bit here. So he writes in his autobiography, There's a story we use in I, Partridge, that is true. On 31st of December 1979, I went and sat alone on a bench under a tree in Alcrington Woods across the road from my parents' house. I thought to myself... This is the last day of the 70s. No one will remember this decade. Nothing defines it. What a shame. I'm not sitting here at the end of the 1960s instead. Wow. Uh, And then he goes on to write, he was 14 and he remembers the decade vividly. I'll skip along a little bit. Um, Then he writes, on 31st of December 1989, he basically went and did the same thing. So having a bit of a reminisce Ah. about the decade that's passed before. Interesting. Um, did he say the 80s was rubbish as well uh, he doesn't doesn't really go into that um, he says I was on the, I was sat there on my own thinking it's been 10 years since I last sat on this bench what I've been doing wow I went to drama school and now I do voices for spitting image and I do comedy on stage and I earn a living um Ten years after that, he writes, he was in Devon getting drunk with Simon Pegg, celebrating <laughs> the new millennium. We had a jolly night, but there was a nagging feeling that I should have been under that tree. Yeah. Uh, so such that, a partridge yeah, thing yeah, to say. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was the 1999 one. Then in 2009, he went back to the bench taking his daughter Claire, who was 13, and told her he used to sit there on his own and contemplate the end of a decade. And she just replied with hmm, that's interesting. Uh, and then basically, Keegan writes, he told Neil and Rob Gibbons about this bench experience and they said, that's hilarious,
0: we'll use it in the partridge book. <laughs> he's probably done this they're deep meaningful significant thing that he yeah. does every 10 years yeah, he's like, that's hilarious that's comedy gold Steve thanks <laughs> that's Alan through and through well the way that so he kind of describes this, uh, this tree as kind of having a certain something at ease with itself a gentle authority it had class and spunk <laughs> I kind of thought does a tree really have spunk but maybe, maybe it's not worth delving into that <laughs> yeah. um, and then there's this kind of this technique that um, is kind of peppered throughout uh, the whole of the book to be honest so uh, Alan says then it hit me and then there's a pause and he just goes, The thought. <laughs> and there's it's just there's loads of instances where he kind of uses that technique where I guess Alan feels a need to clarify that it wasn't the tree that hit him. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah speaking of uh, literary devices that you find used and misused throughout the book, uh, this uh, chapter has the first instances of the pitter-patter, pitter-patter, which yeah. uh, he he massively overuses through the whole of I Partridge. So Alan goes on to tell the story about the night that he's born. It's um, a, There's a storm brewing outside. Uh, Anthony Eden is about to be named, uh, Prime Minister. <laughs> I'd never heard of Anthony Eden as well in terms of like historical figures. I'd never heard of really? that name before. Yeah. He's but about what, to be what? named Prime Minister. Is that yeah. part, is that partly the joke though that, that That's it's, absolutely the joke? It's not yeah. really, he, he wasn't a, a seminal newsworthy Prime Minister as such, but.
3: Yeah, and, and the fact, the, the way he tees that up, uh, like, uh, what is it yeah looks like Anthony Eden's about to be named Prime Minister mutters a nurse as she strolls past the door I also <laughs> so like that he, he's really trying he, to set the scene but he doesn't know how to do yeah, it yeah, without yeah. just really making it cringy. and, and he obviously wasn't
0: it. really there to take notes so he's got, he's, <laughs> yeah. got, he's got incredibly inaccurate phrases like the midwife saying her contraptions are massive yeah, yes I mean <laughs> A it's contractions and B you wouldn't say massive would <laughs> <Yeah>. you <laughs> uh, 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 followed by get ready <laughs> like he's going to be fired out and I like the bit where it's uh, uh, Chelsea about to win the the yep. first division title please do impression so, or, the voice Chelsea are about to win the first Good. division title that bit is well worth listening to in the audio But yep, yep. And, and he says almost certainly not educated enough to follow <laughs> politics <laughs> uh, I did double check uh, Chelsea did win the I first division it as well. title in 1955 um, we hear of Alan's mum for the first time uh, a Dorothy Partridge as he slivers from her legs <laughs> <laughs> yeah and it's kind of like Alan kind of benchmarks himself against uh, like all the other babies so one he talks about how his baby gurgles are like the most developed out of all the babies on the ward and it's just like one he kind of feels the need to benchmark himself against other babies and two there's obviously no proof as to whether that was true or not and one you know it's impossible to define whether a gurgle is good or not but I think there's a lot of things that happen in this book that are impossible to <laughs> prove but yeah, yeah just- Alan presents them as fact yeah. this is the first establishing of how exactly how much artistic license Alan's going to take when describing his own life he's an unreliable narrator despite this book being about him by him oh yeah, yeah that, that yeah.
3: and that that's that's a massive overriding thing with the whole book the unreliable narrator mm-hmm. part which is where a lot of the gags lie yeah, the right. only
0: the only part of this I would say is reliable is when he says that uh, the proud whale burst from his lungs and it was his first broadcast uh, <laughs> delivered to an audience of no more than eight that still equates to an audience share in the delivery room of a cool 100% yeah I I'm sure that's true. I'm sure everyone in the delivery room heard him cry. Also, the next line, (laughs) not bad, I probably thought. Not not bad bad at at all. all. He uses that quite a lot as well. So, um, we obviously kind of find out that Alan is essentially an only child um, and I think that it's kind of unsurprising uh, in many respects because I think he kind of sums up um, a bit of an only some of well, I was going to say some of the problems of being an only child. Although you're obviously an only uh, child, stab. I'm not drawing any comparisons because I saying you. I'm like Alan Partridge No, no, no. And okay, to be fair, yeah, well, to, to be fair, Alan does speculate as to why he might be an only child. Perhaps he bust his mum's cervix. I you can say perhaps. <laughs> can we speculate on why you're an only child? No. no, no. <laughs> Or maybe your dad just perfected the withdrawal (laughs) technique. Christ. Let's Uh, say that for a different uh, point. I'm glad we've drawn this parallel. (laughs) Sorry, Dad.
1: He does listen. (laughs) Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices
0: <laughs> also, Maybe kind of, tell him to skip this episode Yeah, At an early age, uh, Alan kind of uh, develops um, a motto for himself Which I kind of made a note of Because I thought it kind of summed up Alan uh, sort of perfectly So it said, I didn't have a motto growing up But if I did, it would be, I'd love some friends, please <laughs> <laughs> Although it's perhaps in Latin yeah. Uh, yeah. That, uh, that actually ties quite nicely to uh, a bit of Scissor Isle When he's visiting the manor And he, sort of, he so desperately wants to be in with the guy who owns the manor? He's like, Oh, thank you so much for sharing your time with me. Oh, it's been so nice to hang out together. He just wants rich friends, really, doesn't he? Yeah, absolutely. He, um, yeah, he, he wants to climb socially, doesn't he? In yeah. a big way. So Alan talks about one of the guys that he went uh, to school with, uh, a chap called Graham Rigg, who apparently had perfected, uh, intersex handshakes that important first step absolutely and cheek pecks um <laughs> he was too cold to go for, to school although apparently definitely did attend and um alan basically bumps into him years down the line in a home base and uh, insinuates that he's still kissing uh, eight-year-olds but yeah that's i says, love that bit pointing it, an accusing finger at his potentially paedophilic mouth you know that harper collins made him put the word potentially <laughs> <in that> sense, <laughs> yeah. don't you? alan talks a lot as well about being neglected as a child. I kind of wanted to ask, like, do you feel that this is kind of true? Because he talks about um, Papa having thought you were going to ask
3: an... whether we felt neglected as
0: children. <laughs> no, he no, says, like, he, he talks about uh, Papa having a hand like a leather shovel, which obviously just suggests that Alan was literally beaten as a child. But I wonder if there's a kind of another side to this story that... Well,
3: I, I, th- I think oh, yeah. the, the truth behind it is that in the Allen universe of course that he had a totally happy and fulfilled yeah. upbringing and he's just milking the kind of trend for misery lit so I, he's creating this heart this yeah. hard
0: upbringing because he thinks that's, that's what readers want absolutely i don't think there's even another side of the story I, yeah. I, don't, I don't think there's one side yeah. in the <laughs> first place i think i think he's just uh, yeah he's mining maximum misery out of what is basically a couple of teenage or young youth scuffles yeah, yeah because
3: isn't it things like his dad getting him to clean out the garage and stuff yeah, yeah and it, but he's yeah, making it yeah, yeah, like yeah. he was basically imprisoned as a slave that's that's basically the clue isn't it yeah. that what yeah. is going on is actually yeah I mean we, we mentioned it childhood. already but unreliable narrator yes. is the key literary phrase <laughs> for this whole book
0: uh, perhaps a telling sentence uh, to that effect is <laughs> uh, he says that mine was a childhood of undeniable hard undeniable <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah a chilling and far from delicious cocktail of neglect solitude domestic strife and abuse I was if you like a child called it this was Alan's ashes <laughs> a protagonist dealt a really shoddy hand by hard-hearted parents he then says in brackets this is the best bit they're dead now and my mum's sister Valerie who disputed my version of events pretty vociferously, has gone men- medically demented, <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm really the gospel here. <laughs> I think that tells you everything you need to know. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah.
3: And uh, with, with that Alan's ashes, that's obviously referencing Angela's ashes. Yep. So again, he's, he's referencing the exact kind of Type of book that he's trying to replicate.
0: Yeah, and people have. He kind. He does kind of confess and says um, that uh, people have said that he's embellishing his childhood because it would be boring, and that the publishers wanted it to sound more interesting than perhaps it was, um, and that he's potentially playing it down. Anything that he describes that could even remotely be construed as abuse is basically uh, undermined by a footnote. So he says. He says his dad said to him, you'll never amount to anything. You're that to me. On the word that, he held his finger and thumb one, maybe two (laughs) centimetres apart, as if to say not very much. But then there's a footnote to that. that says, Auntie Valerie, who was there that day, is adamant that dad said absolutely nothing of the sort. (laughs) But like I say, this is a woman who often forgets her own address. So you can strike her testimony from the record. (laughs) And actually, you know, uh, Mr. Partridge is a bit of a a good egg. He went and fought in World War Two. He signed up on his 17th birthday. He says, I'm off to save a Jew or two. I enjoyed that line. So Alan's parents, um, as well, uh, sadly, uh, their marriage ends with a divorce. Um, and Alan says that uh, it was rare to see a divorce 50 years ago, as rare as it was to see a four-leaf clover or a black chap in a position of authority. <laughs> right. Which, so, I have a question here. This is kind of alluding... Well, Alan's, I just want to okay, kind of qualify yeah, so, that as well, yeah. because obviously I've just kind of said that, which is pretty bad. And uh, he goes on to say, if you're only pointing, things that, pointing, if is is only it? things had stayed that way, uh, I mean about the divorce. <laughs> yeah. So he just has to <laughs> quantify that. And the other thing is that you know, there's, we've always kind of questioned, is Alan racist or is he just, you know, ignorant? Um, there's a bit in here He said, the closest I ever got to the extermination of the Jews was te- teasing John Malik about his big nose. But A, I didn't even know he was Jewish. B, it was pretty massive. You could have hung your washing off it. They say your nose is one of the few things that keeps growing throughout your life. John will now be 56. Good God. <laughs> 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 Which is a brilliant, brilliant quote. But it's like, I think Alan is kind of, a he, he, bit too close to the bone here at some points, isn't he? Yeah. yeah, yeah. he doesn't have any ounce of tact or subtlety. I'm and surprised also, you let that through when you were at HarperCollins, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> I was going to say, if, you're, if, you're, if you've got a, a potential editor in this timeline, this universe, uh, putting words like potentially in and allegedly, I don't think that would get through the night. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so that concludes uh, the first chapter. So moving on to scouts and schooling, I would say... Uh, Essentially, it is more of the same, but we can come to that. But first, let's go to Tom to find out what the track listing is for this chapter.
3: Thanks, Nick. The uh, soundtrack you will uh, need to listen to for chapter two is... Anything by Keen, and Small Town Boy <laughs> by Bronsky Beat. So, we're on the
0: second chapter, and he's already given up on picking specific tracks. <laughs> yeah, any, anything, anything. His enthusiasm like. for this playlist is not what I thought it would be.
3: And it's probably worth explaining for those that haven't read the book. Uh, there are many, many footnotes in the book uh, containing extra gags, so... Uh, He places footnotes to tell you when to listen to the tracks. So they are actually synced up with very specific parts of the narrative. Very clever.
0: Question to the group. Uh, Were any of us Scouts around the table? Yep. Yes, I was. Ah. Beaver Cub and Scout here. Mm. Senior Sixer, mate. Yep. Big in the game. uh, They tried to keep me on after the age that you're supposed to leave as well. Like Van Wilder of the Scouts. (laughs) Uh, Basically, Van Wilder Scout liaison. Yeah. (laughs) Would not watch. Yeah. Absolutely not. I was just a beaver and a cub, tapped out at Scouts. <laughs> um, well, in terms of uh, Alan and his history with um, Scouts, this might shock you, but apparently he was brilliant in the Scouts, <laughs> although he does have to qualify that again by saying in the North Norwich district, although I reckon he was probably pretty confident that he was good on a national level. Although to be fair, he does flag one weakness, he can't do fire, and that's why he still opts for a gas barbecue. Mm-hmm. Although I would have had him Lovely down as... detail. I would have had him down as a proper barbecue man, um, I think uh, gas barbecue is a bit of a cheat. Yeah. I think he probably likes the theatre of a barbecue, but doesn't want to actually necessarily go through the rigmarole of having to actually. Rely yeah, on too much stuff. like manual labour yeah, for exactly, him. I, yeah, exactly. I reckon probably his love of uh, of scouting is more the uh, the rules and organisation and most Absolutely. importantly the hierarchy, as I guess we'll come on to. Yeah, but but when it comes <laughs> yes, to actually doing the uh, doing the orienteering, the hill climbing, the log collecting that <laughs> that, that forms part of scouting, I don't think he. Uh, I think he probably sees that as work beneath him. Yeah, definitely. Sadly, life at the Scouts wasn't all good. So uh, oh. as with the previous chapter, there is another instance of bullying, <laughs> this time with uh, a chap called Phil Wiley who steals his trunks and puts uh, them in a urinal. Um, so again, just more evidence that Alan kind of doesn't get on with the other boys uh, and kind of suffers at the, uh, the hands of bullies. Although uh, he is kind of asking for it in this scenario, I think. Yeah, his behaviour towards me as superior officer was quite, quite shameful, yeah. so says Alan. Well, no,
3: I I I, I get that point, like... Phil Wiley has behaved badly, but I think Alan taking his position so seriously is just going to set himself up to be. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I'm sorry. and actually, it's quite interesting. We're talking about he's embellished uh, his hard upbringing with regards to his parents, but I think the bullying is all very real and legitimate. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah, (laughs) So he could have just made more of that instead. Yeah. Yeah. Um, He still holds a grudge uh, against Wiley who he describes as a bit of an underachiever uh, who got a lab technician pregnant Um, but I kind of thought that seems a bit unfair. We don't know that that makes him an underachiever. It's He's allowed to have sex with someone and get them pregnant, right? Oh, yeah, but so in Alan's world. So is this this is Dave who becomes the uh, the teacher at the school in I'm Alan Partridge yeah, gets I'm the lab assistant uh, pregnant. I'm not sure, never sure if he's the so thing. I don't think yeah. it's the same. Well, how many people are there out there having sex with lab technicians and never more seeing the kids? More than you would realise, Adam, more than you would realise. Because he does remember. say uh, he drifted into a spiral of underachievement, culminating in his having sex with a lab technician. Because of pregnancy, she gave birth to a child, as you do, uh, although Wiley has as close a relationship with it as you or I do, which <laughs> a very good payoff. And that's what made me think it was the same guy that's in I'm Alan Partridge, because he gets the lab, lab technician pregnant and he never sees the kid. Ah, possibly. And we've just cross-referenced it with I'm Alan Partridge, and yes, that is... Phil Wiley, uh, the teacher who gets the lab assistant pregnant and doesn't see the kid. There we go. Makes sense, it. doesn't it? Yep, that's... Yeah, well done. Um, he con- so Alan consistently uh, references his lack of love and affection and talks about a time that he had to go and move in with his Guardian angels, his words, um, who came in the form of the Lambert family, which he says yeah. he's forever in their debt, although not in any legal sense. Yeah, <laughs> uh, p- important to note. Who he went to live with for three weeks, which he very much kind of positions as he kind of you know ran away to go and live with them, but actually the reality is his parents were on a three week holiday in Brittany and just la- left yeah. him. Yeah, <laughs> I love the other phrasing here. Returni- returning home only because mum and dad
3: had come back from the holiday in Brittany and it was time to go. Yeah.
0: <laughs> There's a lovely touch as well uh, in terms of him giving information that's completely un necessary uh, where he says uh, the children were marginally older than i was and remain so to this day which remind me very much if anyone saw that viral clip of uh, when there, there was a report about a lion being shot and it said like uh, and, and cecil the lion's brother who is also a lion oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it, it,
3: alan doing things like that is that just to add to the word count as well quite possibly yeah
0: probably yeah. but anyone who says that is really 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 <laughs> I love so that Alan bursts into tears when um, he's kind of taken home, and uh, he describes the Lamberts as very much crying, although inwardly, uh, when Alan leaves, which is basically they were just waving him goodbye and probably got on with their lives. But it's fine; he can stay with them anytime Cre- he likes, and that, that's uh, crucial remember to know that everyone. To remember Lambert that. says, "Come," <laughs> a sentence that he will come to regret so deeply. <laughs> come and stay anytime you like. And um, so it's at this point that we cover the
3: smelly Alan Fartridge <laughs> uh,
0: again. Uh, more instances of uh, Alan being bullied, So to give um, uh, the song, it's uh, it's full lyrics. It goes, Smelly Alan Fartridge. He lives with his mum. He lives in her bum. You think that's bad? You should smell his dad. I mean, uh, savage, like it's, like it's yeah, yeah. savage, yeah. brutal. Great yeah. playground yeah. band. Fun set. fact: I once tried to start a DJ set with uh, <laughs> with a clip of this Smelly Alan Fartridge, and it went down like a sack of shit. <laughs> <laughs> What's good about this is that it's going to really resonate with the, the people of that sort of age group. It's got keywords it's, it's got key words in there: fart bum it's easy to remember it's a good rhyme yeah i think it's it's solid The mum bum bad dad yeah it's a (laughs) a classic rhyming scheme (laughs) uh, for prepubescence so
3: obviously the the bullying about him being smelly as we've talked about on a few episodes previously that's really stuck with him so we've all we've always said that he has an obsession with cleanliness so that there's a very telling quote that follows this i did not smell i was a keen cleanser diligently showering each day and making sure that my body privates face and mouth was stench and stain free (laughs) if i smelt of anything it would have been matey brackets now radox and colgate (laughs)
0: <laughs> um it's Stephen McComb, isn't it? Who is not it Who is the culprit here, calling yep. him Smelly Alan Partridge. He and comes up a lot.
3: It's Stephen McComb is mentioned as the primary bully throughout yep. all the TV shows yep. as well, yeah.
0: Do you think as well that basically uh, the naming of him as Smelly Alan Partridge is what leads him in, in later years to need a shower before and ideally after sex with Sonia? And let's not forget that McComb was, and I'm sure is, a grade A dumbo. Not your words, <laughs> the words of Alan Partridge.
3: Uh Yeah, and he follows that with, he could afford to lark around in class, so... So certain was his fate as a manual la- worker.
0: I love that. Um, and later on, Makoom had left school at the first opportunity, his mindless <laughs> decision-making conducted almost entirely by a hormone-addled penis, desperate, <laughs> <laughs> desperate to impregnate the first chubby cashier it could slip into. The transaction sure is brilliant. Sure enough, McCoom and Janice have a litter of four children, <laughs> not much younger than they are. Way to go, guys. And
3: he, he kind of reveals he's essentially been stalking him because he yeah. says, well, is there something about the garden? Yeah. The divergence between our two lives uh, best illustrated in our choice of garden furnishing. I've enhanced my lawn with a rockery. McComb has has
0: a broken washing machine. And also he keeps ringing him up and sort of talking to him on the phone like pretending to be someone else like threatening him almost. So he's kind of pretty much stalking McComb.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I I did have, before we move on to the next chapter, I did have one note as well which is quite important I thought. This at this point towards the end of this chapter is the first I had the last laugh yep. mention mm-hmm. and I think there are actually only two mentions of having yes. the last laugh in this whole book which I, that uh, I was as well. quite disappointed by yep. and it's also I think the first time in the book he mentions being named TV Quick's man at the moment <laughs> in
0: 1994 there's also first, a, few, last. a few jump forwards <laughs> here as well he says uh, examples of when the smelly and Fartridge barbs have stood him in good stead one is when uh, Bridie McMahon failed TV presenter Bridie who McMahon. you heard of uh, pointed out on air obviously in uh, Knowing Me Know You that an anagram of anal... Uh, uh, anal? Alan Partridge <laughs> is anal dirge pratt. You're yep. thinking of anal chloride in <laughs> yeah. the for Nick. Sure. I wanted to shove her in the face but had the self-discipline not to. <laughs> I also like that a formerly significant TV critic Victor Lewis Smith described his military-based quiz show Skirmish as a thick man's Takeshi's castle. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. So that takes us to the end of the chapter. Um, so next up is East Anglia Polytechnic. Uh, throwing to you Tom Dark to give us an update on the track listings. Your mandatory soundtrack for this <laughs> chapter is... Thank God I'm a country boy by John Denver nice um so this kind of opens um, with Alan um, getting uh, the results of his a levels but I, I think it's important to note that um whenever he kind of impersonates uh, anyone else and kind of um, and uses kind of a different voice, he always kind of makes them sound like a bit of a moron so here you get an impression of his mum going uh, uh, uh open it <laughs> yeah. it sounds like she's really struggling to speak uh, and, and this that's... is where it really
3: pays off to listen to the audiobook as yeah. well yeah. the following so sentence
0: good. is completely unnecessary as well when he's like y- 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 yes open it said dad frightened <laughs> yes. in the same voice as his mum. <laughs> yeah um so alan uh, uses a technique that's uh, seen on the x factor so yep. your son has failed at failing his exams <laughs> very much forward thinking although he's probably retrofitted that into the story i'm sure it didn't happen at the time uh appar- yeah, yeah 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 apparently his mum pats him and his dad gives him one of the first high fives in that Norwich had ever seen <laughs> <laughs> not sure if that's true unlikely uh, very yeah. unlikely and uh, Alan doesn't divulge what the graded ed- grade is because apparently um, it wasn't important yeah. what do we no. think that he actually <laughs> well, achieved <laughs> the punchline here as well as he says so after all of this build up suffice to say I was the proud owner of two shiny A-levels yeah. yeah. <laughs> one of the, one those is general of. studies isn't it yeah um, so Alan uh, goes to university or East Anglia Polytechnic is I, guess I mean probably a University of probably sorts. safer to say he attends university yeah, than yeah. he a- he goes there. Also, from a very basic level of research, there is no East Anglia Polytechnic. It was used to it used to be called Anglia Polytechnic University, so it doesn't oh. actually exist. Uh, yeah. So I, 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 the only reason I discovered that is because I was looking to see if there are any famous alumni from East Anglia Polytechnic, oh. and it doesn't actually exist as far as I'm aware. I am awaiting a correction email mail on that. No doubt, no doubt. (laughs) Uh, So, despite apparently hating his home, Alan opts to stay at home rather than uh, living in the wormwood-infested squalor of university halls and decides to commute in from home, using his rent money in a canny move, that's his words, um, to ensure that he was beautifully shod. Um, So, apparently this meant that Alan became something of a mystery man about campus, which I think just means a bit of a loner that no one spoke to. (laughs) He could be spotted at the back of lecture halls or ghosting through the student union (laughs) with a glass of cider. I wonder or, how, or shushing idiots in the library <laughs> <laughs> I wonder how many times he was spotted at the back of lecture halls yeah I, I very much kind of self-proclaimed I think there uh, he goes on to talk about his uh, dress code which was thick zip-up cardigans I mean I'm instantly not on board with this that just sounds uncomfortable flared brown cordroids. <laughs> okay, I'm back on board back on board and it was the 80s uh, and skinny black pepper pop brogues 70s I have to correct <laughs> you there 74 was a crazy hazy time for Alan Partridge knowledge <laughs> yeah he's <laughs> read the book yeah, yeah, he's, <laughs> uh, he's read the book um and he describes everyone else as just being long-haired Irish layabouts. I don't know why he had to bring Irishness into it, but he did. I think for me, uh, the quote that I love the
3: most in this chapter, which really sums up Alan's university experience, because as we discussed, he's chosen to stay at home. Uh, he says, I would have developed a pretty impressive booze habit and had full sex had it not been for the fact I was expected home for 6 to 6.30. <laughs> uh,
0: which is followed by a line I love. You'll notice I said full sex oh I doubled all right <laughs> apparently yeah he had a nascent but powerful sexuality he was no frigid did quite a lot of kissing some of it vigorous enough to chap lips brackets mine and hers unnecessary information yep. yeah and he talks get about get that these, word count up again yeah he talks about all these kind of sexual encounters but there was a passage that I pulled out that kind of like really touches on the reality of the situation where he says I'm happy to recall those eye-opening moments with me and Jemima sitting bollock naked on her bed with me exploring her body and my quivering hand while she coquettishly uh, faint indifference by reading album sleeves or smoking <laughs> uh, in reference to her he also says i enjoyed erotic and informative afternoons with a student whose essays i was writing <laughs> so she basically is prepared to sit there nude and ignore him as long as he'll do all her work yep. for her well, does anyone know what coquettish actually means uh, vaguely, yeah. I, I yeah. didn't know. It basically means a flirt or a girl or woman who knows how to flatter or manipulate men. Ah, <laughs> there we go. Bang also, on the money. Question yeah. to the group. Would you ever use the phrase bollock naked to describe <laughs> a woman? <laughs> <laughs> Very good point. <laughs> oh,
3: Absolutely yes. not. Yes, but yeah. again,
0: that's the joke. Yep. Uh, yeah. So, um, he's a cock certain man dishing out hard hitting compliments such as, <laughs> Again, like, this just, he says that he's dishing out these, br- like, brilliant, heart hitting compliments, but this is one of the worst things I've ever heard. And I'm not sure if you would ever get away with um, saying it to a woman, but he describes uh, a woman, Jen, as really busty. <laughs> Goes on to add, one of the bustiest
1: on campus. <laughs> <laughs>
0: And then qualifies it by saying you've got quite a long torso, but your legs aren't in the least bit thick. Believe me, if I didn't have lectures, I'd love to kiss your back from top to bottom and from side to side. Also, diagonally. (laughs) Diagonally! But but, but unfortunately that relationship has to end because of an argument over armpit hair which Alan has very ardent views on. (laughs) I think we know what side he falls (laughs) on the armpit hair debate. Well, I can tell you if you're not sure, it says whilst women should enjoy sexuality equally with men, if you're a lady and don't shave your pits, you look like a ruddy bloke end of end of end (laughs) (laughs) of awful no compromise (laughs) um he kind of touches on about the reality of university life now and basically says it's Pointless and useless, but I think that's probably just because he knows that he didn't really experience university, and and he scraped two A levels, so (laughs) probably he he wasn't he wasn't quite ready for the university uh, experience. Uh, um, Yeah, citing that Wikipedia apparently has just made it redundant. (laughs) Do you think the fact that he doesn't like university and he scraped A levels, he's obviously writing Gems essays for her. Do you think they're any good? Probably not. (laughs) No, I sort of initially I thought she must be getting him to do the work because he's a a SWAT and he's very good, but I don't think he's even that good. (laughs) There's a little section here just at the end of the chapter where I think the Venn diagram of Alan and Nick cross over. Um, <laughs> uh-oh. Tell me more about this. There's a section where he says, that's why students and in their incessant status quo bashing are so wrong. Challenging convention should be left to those who truly understand convention. And you can only understand convention if you stuck rigidly to it 99% of the time. That's basic. I just that, that circled that section was like, that's Nick really, isn't it? <laughs> Hello. I'm pretty sure I've heard you say that verbatim at some point. Good
3: word Nick also. So turn up to a house party and throw them a curveball with some steel ice span and sing along at <laughs> and, uh, and sing along to it at a steadily increasing volume
0: Re- replace steel ice span with hugh lewis and the news and Ooh, you've basically got yes. nick in a nutshell further, say,
3: further question would nick also turn up to a house party whilst getting rory drunk on a Watney's party four, <laughs> four pints of foaming beer in a can or with shaw's lemonade six pints of shandy <laughs> <laughs> you'd go the shandy route, right yeah god yeah <laughs> who's,
0: who's rory drunk Roaring Drunk. (laughs) Rory Drunk. Rory Drunk. drunk. If your name's Rory Drunk and you email in, in I will send you my annotated copy of (laughs) iPartridge. So, we've uh, suffered through Alan's university experiences, some extremely cruel... Bullying and parental cruelty. Um, <laughs> Apparently. Yep. His his initial uh, stark, bollock naked exposure to uh, a female lady's part. Um, and we're about to meet Carol. But that's all we have time for this week. So please join us again next week uh, on Monkey Tennis, the Alan Partridge fan podcast, when we will be delving into Alan and Carol's earliest dalliances. If you'd like to get in touch with us at all, it's thepartridgepod at gmail.com, at thepartridgepod on Twitter, facebook.com slash thepartridgepod, and for some bizarre reason on Instagram, it's monkeytennispod. Pod. Um, <laughs> from all of us at Monkey Tennis, we'll speak to you next week. Uh, all about Carol and beyond. Thanks and goodbye. See Bye. ya.
2: Monkey Tennis? Smelly Allen Fortridge. Linton Travel Tavern seemed an obvious choice. Monkey tennis? At the BBC of all places. Be real. Monkey tennis? Where's my assistant? I do not know. Monkey Tennis? I wish things had turned out differently, but I'm glad they didn't. Monkey tennis? it will be called Alan's Show. I decided and would be absolutely ace. Monkey tennis? But needless to say, I had the last laugh. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time.